Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. The Band of Brothers is the men's ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. The we are on right now is Winning at Work and Home. We are being led by Pastor Greg Mott, Jason Swigert, Eric Reed, Ben Pritchett, and several other ministers from the church. We're glad you're joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day. I want to welcome you all and, and tell you I uh, missed you last week, and it was it's good to see you this week. And what Lang was sharing, and Lang, thanks. Uh, I hope I hope y'all hear his heart for men, his heart for you. Uh, and and I know as I look around here, I know a lot of you, and and there are some really really solid men sitting at every table right now. And and I truly believe, and we were supposed to be our men's ministry, sort of called Band of Brothers. I truly, my heart is that you are going to find at least one person a believer, another man that would walk with you in life, because I do know that I read scripture and as much as I've read it and I've read through the scriptures, you know, 40 or 50 times, just front to back, you will not find a promise of ease in scripture. That somehow believers are immune, that somehow if you honor God perfectly, that nothing ever goes wrong in life. I mean, it's just not there. It's sort of sold to us that way in certain denominations or certain churches, some around us and some famous and some not famous at all. But but Christ promises to walk with us always, to never abandon us. But he also calls us to have that same life toward one another, that we would never abandon a brother. We would never cast somebody away. And I I wanted to share with you all about one of our brothers from in here an incredibly tragic deal happened Tuesday morning, very, very early. Um, Reb Rose, who has been with us, journeyed with us, uh, friends of Dave Trickett's from work, uh, Russ Calvert's from work. Um, they've had a table from, from work here, and he, uh, he was fatally uh, killed in a, a car accident early, early Tuesday morning. He's leaving behind his, his lovely wife, Ashley, and three kids. Um, the, uh, the funeral is tonight. Or the viewings tonight and the funerals tomorrow. I will send out an email with some of the details. If you feel very led to go just to show a sign of support for his wife. I mean, Dave, how old was Reb? 35 years old. I mean, when Dave called me, was I guess, what's that? Yeah, let me, let me. Robert Ebb Rose, 35, loving husband, adoring father, wonderful son, and grandson, left this world for heaven on December 2nd, 2008. His life, though way too short, was rich and full with much love and laughter. Reb's family was his priority, his everything. His life with Ashley and his three girls, Riley, Mackie, and Presley, was his greatest source of joy. He was the adored grandson of Ebb and Jean Rose and the cherished nephew of Jana and Randy Meeks who raised them as their own. He will be terribly missed and never, ever forgotten. Reb was preceded in death by his father, Bobby Higginbotham, his mother, Janine Rose, and his grandparents, Eb and Jean Rose. Left to cherish his memory are his devoted wife, Ashley, his three beautiful daughters, Riley, Mackie, and Presley, beloved aunt and uncle, Jan and Randy Meeks, numerous cousins, and Ashley's large family who loved him dearly. Reb's family will receive friends from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Thursday, December 4th at Cypress Fairbanks Funeral Home. It's on Jones Road. 
A funeral service will be held at 11 a.m. Friday, December 5th, at Lindale Assembly of God on a Reed and on 503 Reed Road at Irvington Exit on Loop 610. Pastors Randy Meeks and Lyle Countryman officiating. <clears throat> and I, I just <clears throat> I just want to shout, I want us to pray. You know, there's enough stuff that goes on in life. This is one of those curveballs that comes into life, and we don't have the answers or the why at all. Um, but what I do know is that if that's my wife, if if that's my kids, I want to know that there's a group of men that would be praying for me, that would do what they could do to minister to me, whether that's fixing meals or whatever. So if you feel led or pressed on after this, if you would contact me, let me know, and we'll find a way to help you get connected to serve and to help them. I don't know if they were involved in the church here or not. I know that his uh, father or his uncle was a pastor, I believe, Randy Meeks is, and he's the one that's doing the funeral, but... But let's pray for them right now. And uh, Father God, we, we come before you today, God, and my heart is heavy. Man, a 35-year-old man, a father, a son. Uh, God, I, I hate to hear of tragedy, and yet, Lord, I know you don't abandon us. Father, I know that you are with us, God, and that you can work in all things. But God, that doesn't ease the, uh, the immediacy, the hurt that's there. Father, we, we put our faith and trust in you, but God, we pray, man, put your arms around Ashley right now and his beautiful daughters and his family and his co-workers. God, we, we ask you comfort them, you strengthen them. God, and on our heart and on our mind, God, show us our role in this of how to love like you love and to, to live like you live. And Father, we confess that we take life for granted. I confess that driving in this morning, it never dawned on me once as I was weaving through a little bit of traffic, that, that this might be my last trip here. And uh, what am I leaving behind? And what was the last word I said to my son or my wife? What will I leave with these men today? So, Father, I pray we would live courageous lives for you. We would live not worried, God, not worried about what the world might say about us, but, God, we would live knowing that what you say ultimately matters, ultimately is the yardstick of our life, that we would spur each other on to righteousness and good deeds. God, that we would truly be a band of brothers, especially in a time like this. Lord, we love you. We need you. I ask that you would speak through uh, me and through this time together. And you can use everything, God, to redeem it and use it. And it's in the one true God Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to I want to encourage y'all. We are beginning the last six weeks of this journey. It's called Winning at Work, Winning at Home, and we have focused exclusively the first basic ten weeks on the home front. The first section of that was on dealing with the most important person probably in our life. For some of us, that's a wife. For some of us, that might be a fiancé or a girlfriend. Or it might be you've learned about how to, really, how to really love another through some of those early studies. The second chapter was focused more on the home front and real specifically on raising kids strategically. Not just being a dad that's involved, but being a dad that's intentionally involved, strategically investing your life in their lives. And there is stuff that can flow both ways on it that... 
that we can take from it and apply in a friendship, but, but in that home front, if you're not a dad yet, man, I keep the notes. Uh, go ahead and download the podcast. There will be a day. God's truth doesn't change. Application points can change because circumstances change, but don't, don't be lulled into, well, that doesn't fit me now. Don't get lulled into that. You don't know if you're single. You don't know when you're going to meet the lady that you're going to marry. You don't know how short the engagement's going to be. You don't know any of those things. Be prepared. Stuff your head, stuff your heart, and walk in purity. I mean, that's, that's my call to you. It's my challenge to you. And, and for the, the single men that have done that and have now found themselves, they're married, I think they've positioned themselves to win at work and to win at home. The last six weeks, we're going to be hammering on work. And uh, as, as we all know right now, there's lots of stresses in that. But I want to tell you that there's a thing called the 10 key moves that's in your book, and we've mentioned it every week. In life, there is a very thin margin, a very small margin between Michael Phelps and Oblivion, you know? I mean, there's less than a tenth of a second between him and a guy you never heard of that could kick any of our butts in a pool, right? There's a very thin line there in every sport that we look at. There's a very thin line on the admission standards of every university that we would apply to or want to go to. There's a very thin line in your job, whatever it is, between taking advancement and getting let go. And for us to win at work and win at home, we've got to find those little, small things that we need to step forward in obediently to God. And that's what the 10 key moves are. And if you leave here and you haven't thought about, what am I going to carry with me from winning? What am I going to carry with me? What am I taking from this? I I checked the box. I did it. Milestone class completed. Shut the door and walk out. If that's all you did, I'm like, man, life is going to throw some serious stuff your way and my way. And that's all we have is that I checked a box and I've closed the door and the book is on the shelf. You've sort of missed the heart of, of why we're here. And, and I'm encouraged that you're still here because I believe that's your heart. Is you're saying, you know what? I don't want the status quo. I want transformation. That's our pastor's heart. I mean, he... Overstaffed, that's his challenge to us always, is live transformed lives and encourage each other and encourage our flock, our church, to live transformed lives. And for you all today, the 10 key moves will be essential for a transformed life. And so as we move forward from here on to the end, six weeks, it's on work. Uh, today is going to be sort of an introductory, big overview type of deal. Some of it will be random. It won't be all attached. But then each week we're going to take a very focused look at an aspect of work, and we're going to drill into that. I I hope and I pray that it challenges you and it encourages you. So this week is called A Man and His Work. If you remember at the very beginning, we talked about... We don't let home and work, they're not competitions. You don't have to win at one and lose at the other. That if, if we're strategic and we live balanced, we can win at both. And in fact, your happiness or joy will most likely depend on that. That a promotion at work and a failed marriage still leaves you feeling rotten. Or a great marriage, but you just totally blew it at work, is going to leave you feeling empty as well. But if you find a way 
to walk uprightly with God in the marketplace and in the home, whatever that home situation is, now when you go to bed at night, there's a peace that's there. And when you wake up in the morning, there's an excitement about what that morning brings to you. You're not dreading anything. And I've been there where I've prayed for the alarm clock not to go off and said, God, I do not want to go to work today. I've been there. I'm, I'm not there today. Um, I am pumped to, to get up every morning and to do what I do. And it's not about working at a church. For me, it's, it's having learned who I am and also having learned the hard way of who I'm not, what I'm really not that good at. And instead of trying to be the guy I'm not, saying, God, this is how you made me. This is who I am. I'm just going to be this for you. And wherever you want to put me, just put me there. So I've worked in hospitals, and I've worked in special ed, and I've run a boy's home. I've, I've mowed grass and painted houses. I've been basically a, a mess vocationally. My resume is a joke, you know. But, but God hasn't wasted any of it in my life. And I believe where you are today vocationally, whether you like it or not, God is redeeming it even right now. And none of it's been a waste. And God is wanting to use you in the midst of it. Got something great there. And my prayer is to unleash you. Unleash you as men where God has already placed you. And if God then moves you somewhere else, absolutely fine. But there's nothing in my eyes any more sacred of what I'm doing than what you're doing if you feel called to that and passionate about that. Whether that is construction, trading, law, education, being a doctor, or just being a manager over a whole office of people. It's all redeemed of God if you're called of that and you're purposed in that. So we're going to look at some of this today. <clears throat> the first mirror we talked about was, was, hey, when it comes to home, the difference between average and winning big is often in a few small, unnatural, but on-target behavioral adjustments a man chooses to make. And if you want to underline stuff, underline small and unnatural. I'm not going to unpack them. We've already talked about how small things make a big difference. We've already mentioned that earlier. The unnatural side of that is, hey, just put an asterisk by that and put paradox principle out beside it. Just look back in your notes at the paradox principle. That there will be something that is counterintuitive to you and to me that if you do it, it'll make a big difference where you are. And if you avoid it because, oh, that doesn't seem natural, that's just not how. You're never going to get over the hump in either winning at work or winning at home. And so the paradox principle is important. What I want us to do today then is to realize that work consumes a lot of our lives. In fact, it consumes more of our lives than any other generation in history. And that's not saying that the people that built this country didn't bust their tails and build this country with everything they have. What is to say is the nine to five is sort of dead, you know, the the work week where, you know, you, you can sort of show up and take an hour at lunch and then head out and, you know, you get home, play around to golf. And, you know, a lot of that's gone. It's been gone for a while. Living five minutes from work is sort of gone for most of us. You know, we have to get up 30 minutes earlier than our dads had to get up just to make it to work because of the commute times and the traffic and where we live and where we work. And some of you maybe commute out of your own home and you're in consulting and all of that. Well, then you're on the road a lot. 
And I worked out of my home for three years uh, with a ministry, and I was gone way too much for my liking. Um, I didn't like missing some of my kids' first things. I didn't like that. Just I was like, you know what? I know you've called me here, God, but if you can call me somewhere else, that would be really, really cool. <laughs> How many of y'all have been there? <laughs> but that's, yeah, I've been there, and I, I, just, I just know that. As you look in the mirror at work, maybe you feel like, you know what? My boss doesn't even understand the potential that I bring here. I'm underutilized. I'm unappreciated. Maybe work is boring to you. You're not being challenged at work. Or maybe you're excited and you're successful and you're like, man, I've, I've achieved at work and now I'm still not happy. I, something's still not right. Something isn't fit right. Even though I'm doing this and I've, that's what I got my degree for and I've, I've specialized and I've got promoted. I don't know what the work mirror tells you today. But what I do know is that there's some observations we can make about work that are true for all of us probably in this room. And that if we can look at some of these and just begin to frame up work rightfully, then it's going to allow us, this will be a foundation that we can then begin to add on to over the next five weeks. And so if y'all would turn with me in your notes here to some introductory thoughts about work. The first thing is most men define themselves by, no shock here, what they do. What's one of the first things you ask somebody when you meet them? What do you do? When I was a little kid, I had already learned that skill of asking people, what do you do? Now, it doesn't work out real well on the second grade, you know, playground when you ask a kid, what do you do? That doesn't make a lot of sense, but it made a lot of sense when my parents had friends over at the house. Because I learned that if I asked the man what he did, and this was back in the day that most of the ladies stayed at home, we're not in that situation any longer. So you ask, I ask women and men, what do you do now? And it's not to demean women if they stay at home. My wife stays at home. And I know, I've told her this a million times, and she'll listen to the podcast, and so she'll hear it a million and one times, is that there is absolutely no conceivable way that I would survive doing what she does every day. I would, I would literally, I would die of starvation and stress. And she's got four kids there when I'm here. And somehow she gets them to school, dressed, well-fed, prayed over. And I'm like, dude, I am like, you know, drill sergeant, get things done. And then it's still not working well. And, and so for us, we, we define ourselves by what we do. We're action figures. I mean, look, at that, that's what you are. You're, you're action figures. You want to get things done. Probably an exciting day for you isn't sitting on the sofa doing nothing. You probably have something in your mind that, man, if I wasn't working today, I'll tell you what I would do right now. You know, whether it's to go out and sail a boat. You know, some of you guys love the adventure of, of the sea or to go out and fish or to go and hunt or to run or to, you know, maybe it's to, to escape and read something crazy, you know, crazy fiction that you love. But but it's something active that's there. The second deal is, according to psychology today, one's career is probably the most important influence on one's perception of quality of life. Now, maybe that's not true for you, but for most of us, those two things are really tied together. How we view work and our quality of life is probably intertwined for the next 40 years, like that or not. Because we are going to work. 
I hope. Three, men spend more time in the workplace than anywhere else. Raise your hand if that shocks you. When I was a kid, honestly, when I was in school, I remember thinking, I hate school. I can't wait for school to be over. This is so burdensome. And man, I remember when when the reality began to dawn is, wow, that was, college was incredible. Like I got a class here, got a few hours off, got a class there. We got an ultimate game this afternoon. I got to get to that. You know, I mean, it was just sort of that. Yes, I did have a part-time job. Yes, I did have studies and all that. But man, those were very simple, easy times compared to day after day after day after day grinding it out, whether it's been in a hospital or doing cardiac rehabilitation or being an exercise physiologist or being a teacher or a coach or running a boys' home for troubled teens or being in ministry where you're praying for people and you're hearing people's burdens and you're, you're trying to, to bring things, you know, those things. And you know your work environment. And so you know you get in that grind. They say 60 to 65% of our time is at work. 30 to 35% of our time is with family and personal interests. And i.e., if your personal interest is golf, then I, I guarantee your family time isn't going to be 30 to 35%. Your personal interest is going to trump your family time in some degree that you're going to look back on one day and probably regret it if you're in that season when your kids can't play with you and they're young and they're just starting to do things that they need dad to cheer them on and they need dad to coach them on. And, and so we've already looked at investing our time there. And then 0 to 10% of our time is in church activities. You guys are probably breaking the curve if you're coming Sunday morning and now, you know. It's like you're breaking the curve. That's crazy. Well, paradox principle. You're investing in, and I pray it's something that will bring back into you so that you might be a better man to impact the lives of your family and your friends. B, according to a Gallup survey, almost 80% of men feel miscast in their jobs. So when you came in here and I said, hey, we're going to talk about work today, for some of you, that might have that brought up a, dude, I hate my job. I don't want to even look or think about it. Maybe that stuff, maybe that got brought up for you. And that's okay because, hey, 80% of the men, I would say, in this room and at your workplace probably feel miscast. And let me add a word on there, underutilized, underutilized. Nothing frustrates me any more than having an idea, seeing a problem, knowing that the idea is probably a great solution for the problem, and nobody even asks or even wants to know. And I'm telling you, as, as men's minister and married young adult minister here, is any ideas you have about how things can be done differently in men's ministry, in marriage ministry, at our church, mission trips, prayer, any of those things, you will not hurt my feelings at all if you come to me, call me up, email me, say, hey, let's, I want to talk to you about something. I got an idea. Don't sit back in our environment. We are a family here. And I run my family this way. I, my daughter can tell me if I have hurt her feelings. And I don't want her to bottle it up and just stew on it. I want her to tell me. I need y'all to speak into the process of ministry that's going on here. We don't have to sit back and sort of feel miscast in God's call to be a part of Houston's First Baptist Church and part of his kingdom. 
You have a voice here. God's given you a spirit. God's given you his word. Use your voice to grow what God is doing here. And some of you are doing that in my life. And I invite all of you to do that. Let God raise you up and grow you. And he will. Step out in faith and just trust that he'll do that. Uh, I want to I read a quote from our favorite Mormon. Um, and I'm not talking about Donnie and Marie. Uh, or, or what was that guy's name that uh, ran for president? What's that? He's a really slick business guy. Yeah, Mitt Romney. Yeah, I'm not talking about Mitt Romney either. This is actually from Stephen Covey. Despite all of our gains in technology, product innovation, and world markets, most people are not thriving in the organizations they work for. They're neither fulfilled nor excited. They're frustrated. Most of all, they don't feel they can change much. I'm going to say that, that maybe that describes you where you're at. I believe with God, with his wisdom, and over the next six weeks, that, that you can get a game plan for making some changes about your perspective on work. Even if your job isn't different, you'll be a different man where you are. And I believe that can change everything. That you can begin to get a thumbs up in the mirror when you look at that mirror of work. And a thumbs up at home when you look at that mirror from home. Uh, letter E, finding deeper meaning and purpose in work is becoming more and more important for those in a career or choosing one. Our father's generation and our grandfather's generation, they're called the builders. And for them, work was work. My dad didn't have a mom and a dad in the Great Depression. He was very grateful for whatever job he got. He wasn't very picky. Now, he was blessed to discover what he enjoyed doing, which was helping people's eyes and working in optometry and building his own practice. And, and he worked until he was 78 years old doing those very things. He loved it. And he would still work today if his, if his health held up enough that he could do that. Forbes magazine, Forbes magazine did a study, and they said that basically the revolution of the 90s was the, the revolution, the quality, the revolution of quality. But in the 2000s, it has been the revolution of meaning, the age of meaning. And he says, if you're a marketer or if you are an employer and you forget that, you're going to lose in the future. The people want and expect more from work than a paycheck. Now, our economic times may change that real quickly. I mean that. You know, we, we just, we've heard about different people losing their jobs. And, and we're in, we have been insulated for the last nine months or ten months. This election <clears throat> that we just came through, some of you may have said, well, I can't understand why that happened or what, what's the big push for change. Or if you're in different parts of the country, if you're in the Rust Belt or you're outside of sort of the energy you know, window that we've been in the Sun Belt area, man, there's been a lot of, of, of fallout and carnage, you know, from everything. And if you don't, if you're not aware of that, you know, just travel a little bit and talk to your relatives or friends that don't live in Houston or don't live outside. But even here, we're feeling it now. So maybe we'll all be real happy, you know, that we just have a job. But right now, I still want something more than that from a job. I believe I want to spend, if I'm spending most of my time doing something, I want I want to know that it matters. I mean, that's just in my heart. I want to know that. F, work and work-related issues are chief topics of the Bible. The Bible addresses work even more than it does, and this blew me away, more than it does the family. We talk about family values in church all the time, right? You're supposed to vote your family values. What about our work values? 
We don't hear a lot about that. That's why this past Father's Day, I gave, I gave a CD. And if you didn't get one <clears throat> at the end of this, if you would just tell me or send me an email, I will give you the CD. It's actually a CD from a man named Andy Stanley out of North Point Church, North Point Church in Atlanta. But it's dealing with work. And the reason I gave it was because it was really refreshing for me as a man to hear. And I heard this message probably three years before, so I wasn't even working at the church at the time. But just to hear that really challenged me as a man. And so if you want that CD, I'll, we've got a couple of hundred left. You know, you, you never know how many dads are going to be on Father's Day. So you buy too much rather than too little. I'll give it to you. And if you have men at your office that you think, hey, these guys would really benefit from this. If you have 20 guys, tell me I want 20 and I'll give you 20. I want them used. I want them sent out. I want them to go to people that you know that you can encourage them with that there. I want you to think from the very beginning, God has not been a God. If you just open your Bible and put your finger down somewhere in the story of Scripture, God's not sitting in the lazy boy chair watching TV. He's not. He's working. He's active. He's either redeeming somebody redeeming a circumstance or asserting himself in the world in some arena. Anywhere in the Bible, you put your finger down, you're going to see God is on his feet and he's, he's moving and he's working. Secondarily, at the very beginning of the story, he creates man in his image and he gives him a job before he gives him a wife. He's a gardener. And you're to grow this thing. He's given a growth plan. You're to grow this deal. You're to steward this thing. You're to take care of it, and now we're going to take it international. You're to take it all over the world. You're to subdue the world and to have dominion over it, just like you've done in the garden right here. You locally, you figured out the system locally, let's go international with this deal. All of that's in the first two chapters. Oh, and by the way, let me give you a co-worker, a co-helper, a lady. Her name's Eve. Work with her it'll make your life great marriage is introduced god is not absent when we think about work it's in his heart it's in his mind and it's in his very character his work and we can't forget that gee 90 percent of all christians have never read a book heard a sermon or listened to a tape that focuses specifically on the workplace and i believe because of that the next point, H, is that many Christian men don't know how to take Jesus Christ with them to work. And I'm not talking about the bobble-headed Jesus or the, you know, I think uh, Jason has some Jesus figurine that he and Paige hide somewhere. I'm talking about loving people as Christ loves them. And therefore, Jesus is left at home and the workplace becomes spiritually barren, secular experience. And here's the deal. And write this down, compartmentalization, and I know that's a big word, it's not in there, it's in your dictionary, compartmentalization will kill you. Compartmentalization will kill you. It will kill you emotionally, it will kill you spiritually, and ultimately I believe it will lead to your death. And what I mean we, we use the word integrity. An integer is a whole number. It's bringing things together. There's no fraction in an integer, right? So when we think of integrity, if I say a Christian, is this, this is a man of integrity. What that means to me is that he is the same person at church, in his family, at work, 
on the fishing trip, at a football game, wherever. He's one. He's not two or three or four or however many masks the dude puts on. And we all have been there. We've all put on the mask. My senior quote came from a Billy Joel song called The Stranger. It's, well, we all have a face that we hide away forever and we take it out and show ourselves when everyone is gone. Because even though I wasn't a Christian, when I picked that out, I knew in my heart that I lived a lie, that I was two or three different people depending on who I was with, whether I was with my parents, my friends, or people from the church that I hung out with sometimes. And what God showed me when I went to college, he said, I want one. I want one Eric Reed. Wham. And that was my prayer all through college. And that has been my prayer all through every job I've ever had is, God, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be the me that you made me. I'm not going to apologize about it. If people don't like me, that's okay because this is who you've made me. And that doesn't excuse me morally. And that doesn't excuse me to say I'm not going to learn my wife's love language or I'm not going to learn to serve and to help somebody else. What I'm saying is there's a core of who I am and who he's called me to be. And by age 42, I think I know it now. And people talk about a midlife crisis. I have a midlife excitement because I'm glad that I've gone through enough of life to be able to set a lot of the crap aside and excuse that, I'll edit that other podcast, but now that we can set enough of that away and move on and I don't have to keep like, who am I? You know what, God, what do you want out of my life? Where, where am I? And I hope that for some of you, you're moving in that pathway and that studies like this will help you clarify and align your life with something far bigger than your own, you know, plan or your own agenda. I, many Christian men have haunting unanswered questions when it comes to their work. Let me give you some of those. Number one, is there a right job for me? Man, if I had a dollar for every time I asked that of myself in college, I would be filthy rich unless I invested in the stock market right now. So, um, yeah. Uh, Number two, does my work really matter to God? Hey, does he care that I install computer networks? Does he care that I'm in real estate and that I just made a sale? Does he care about law? Does he care about chemical engineering or trading oil and gas? Tell you what, if you're, if you're a Christian, you have probably wondered that some days of your life. Does he really care? And if you answer that no, if you answer that God doesn't care, that's one of the biggest parts of your life. Maybe, maybe that fires you up in the morning. What I hope you discover is that God does care about that. And that God can work in that. And that ministry really isn't a position at a church, which is a lie. That ministry is who you are and who I am, regardless of where my paycheck is coming from regardless of where my paycheck is coming from. Some of the most godly men I have ever known, some of the men that have impacted my life more than anybody, have not been pastors, marriage guys, men's minister guys. They have been men in the marketplace that did things for God and others before they did things for themselves. And some of y'all know men like that here. And some of you guys are men like that here. 
But for all of us, God's call is that we would all be men like that. All of us. It's not a clergy, laity thing. I hate those words. They make my skin crawl when I hear clergy. Well, that's clergy. Lay it. That's, dude, read the scriptures. Yes, there are different offices in church, in the body of Christ, different roles and functions. Everyone is a minister. Everyone. Period. That's you. If you're unemployed spiritually and you're not ministering to anyone, you are missing why God breathed life into your lungs. And if you figure, I'm too busy to do that, I'm like, dude, life is too short not to do that. The only thing on the planet that doesn't have a shelf life, the only thing you're going to work with that doesn't have a shelf life with an expiration date is people. They will either reside forever apart from God and we call that hell, or they're going to reside forever with God and we call that heaven. Oil and gas ain't going to be there, but the people you work with will. Real estate, hey, we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, lots of new real estate. So whatever you sold, whatever deals went down, whatever home is built, vaporized. The people that you sold it to are here forever. And if we ever miss that, we have missed the biggest opportunity that work brings us in this. So does your work really matter to God? Yes. How does God work at work? I've been asked this by guys because it, it's easy because I'm the minister. If I was just a minister, everything would fall into place. and it would be. I'm like... If God calls you to be a minister, be a minister. The biggest, helpful, most helpful thing I had was when I first started looking at going into ministry in 1990. Been a long time since 1990. The best advice I was given is don't do it. Don't go into ministry. Unless you can absolutely not restrain yourself from going into ministry. Because there's too many people that go into ministry as a job. And not because they're called. Not because they're passionate. Not because they have a vision for it at all. But if you can't stand it. And you sit there in church and you're like. Man I wish I could just charge ahead. Then they tell me. Then charge ahead. And you may discover that you find yourself in ministry. So I was at our church from 98 until 2004. Teaching Sunday Bible study getting in the lives of the men in my Bible study class, calling up people, having breakfast, having lunches, seeing what's going on, teaching Wednesday night classes sometimes, you know, not singing in the choir or anything. But, but out of that, I get a phone call from Jason Swigert three years ago. I want you to pray about something. I want you to pray about doing our men's ministry and doing our marriage ministry at our church. Wasn't on my radar. That was on God's radar. But the advice that I was given 18 years prior to that, or almost 18 years prior to that, was go for it with God wherever you are and trust him. He'll open the doors for ministry if that's where he wants you. How does God work at work? He does work. His principles do work. Does that mean that I'll make as much money if I do exactly what God has told me? Maybe yes, maybe no, but you'll be content, (laughs) right? You could have a whole lot more money, but Proverbs says having a lot of money with a lot of guilt is probably a bum deal. 
better to have a little bit with a free conscience because then you go to bed and you rest. Then your kids admire you. They don't look at you and say, I never want to hang out with him. I'm telling you, I want the day that my son says, I want to be like you. And I bet every one of you that's a dad wants that same deal. And if you're not a dad, I guarantee you when you hold your first kid, you're going to want that, you're going to want that kid and it's going to scare you because you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to say, I don't know if I want him to be like me, but I want him to want to be like me. So I want my life to be lined up. Number four, how much work is too much? And yes, uh, boy, that's the crux for me, you know, I think for a lot of us. So I want to I go into the motives of work real quickly. And we're going to zoom through this. There are, uh, there are eight motives here. And if you'll jot these down, they're very self-explanatory. We're going to start at the most basic level. I call this the like uh, the five-year-old level of motive, the uh, because I have to level of work. Um, we're going to find out that all of these are mentioned in Scripture, but some of these are probably a lot better than others. But yes, you do have to because you have to. Because I want to meet my needs and the needs of my family. That's a little bit more noble. It's not just about you. There's a little vision going on here. Three, because I desire to have a certain standard of living. We all have dreams when we're kids. And some of them have been imposed on us from parents. You know, of what success is and what it's supposed to look like. And if you're not a doctor, you're a failure. And so we, you know, we get this vision, got this lifestyle. I got to, I got to be this way. I got to live in a two-story home, not a one-story ranch. I've got to have a BMW, not a Ford, you know, and we, we have those things. Some of these motives are, are great, but they do fire us up at work, right? I mean, if you're trying to get that next pay raise so you can get this next vacation or you can do the next thing, it will drive you in work. I'm not going to say it'll satisfy you. It'll drive you at work uh, because I desire to accomplish something meaningful to me. <clears throat> absolutely man that's what I, I hope you hear that from my life is everything i've done whether it's mowing grass or doing what i'm doing right now has always been about serving somebody it's been exciting that yeah i get paid for that but it's always been rewarding to me personally there's nothing any better when i was 10 years old and started mowing grass around the, the three or four blocks that i lived than seeing a yard that had the grass real high and then finishing it 30 minutes later and it looked really nice and i remember just Walking up to the door, getting my 15, 20 bucks, going back to the lawnmower and pushing it back to my house and just feeling really good about it. I just felt great about it. <laughs> you know, my brother didn't understand. He was two years older than me. And it was like, why are you doing that? I'm like, I'd rather do that than watch TV, you know, so get, get some money, make it look better. It felt, felt good. I was outside. I liked it uh, because I do something through my work that's helpful and of service to others. When we get into these motives here, I... Man, you sort of hear a little bit of the spirit of Christ coming out in this stuff here now, right? I mean, now we're sort of moving into some of the realm of, yeah, that's, that's why I'm a doctor. Because I really, or, or that's, that's why I'm in IT. Man, nothing's any better than, man, if the power grid goes down in Houston, imagine what that would be like. But what I do matters because I keep the power grid going. Man, in Houston, that saves lives. I mean, you, you're... Totally different view of doing the same idea, same thing. Uh, because I can earn money that I can give to help others. <clears throat> I have been deeply moved by the generosity 
of both Christians and non-Christians during Katrina. Deeply moved. Unbelievable. Pagans and Christians alike helping other people. If that's not a snapshot of a little bit of the image of God, maybe it's flawed and broken even if people don't know Christ, but you see a little of that come out in times like that. The only people given weren't just Christians. People. People that were created in God's image. The next thing, because I can earn money that I can give to advance God's kingdom on earth. Wow. It's going from just helping others to saying, man, I want to I want to blow this thing. I want to I want to make this happen. I've had several men at our church say, Eric, if there's ever a man that can't afford a marriage conference, a men's retreat, anything, call me up and let me know and I'll pay for them. I'll do it anonymously, but I'll pay for them. Why? Right there. They can earn more money so they can advance the kingdom of God. Man, the, the guy, one guy just flatly told me, Eric, I don't care what your budget is in this area. God's given me the gift of giving. It is my greatest joy to see dreams become real in the kingdom of God. So if there's ever, you have this crazy idea and you don't have any funds for it, let me know. And I will pay for whatever it is. I'm like, oh, is there a, is there a asterisk by that with a little caveat, only up to $1,000 or, you know, how much money are we talking here? It's like just anything, anything. That's why I've done. That's why I work hard. That's my joy. But those people are rare, but man, I, I love it when I meet a man like that. It, it just excites me because I'm like, I want to be more like that. And then lastly, because I can serve and glorify God in my work and spiritually impact people. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill in the blanks on the other side. These can be grouped into some real core motives here. The first motive is sort of paycheck driven. I call that just sort of your basic, <laughs> that's just the basic level. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. It's paycheck driven. Number two is passion driven. It's where you come alive. You're doing something you enjoy. Then it's philanthropy driven. Man, if I just help other people. I'm going to help other people. And lastly, it's purpose driven. I want you to look at that list of eight motives, and I want you to look at those four things, paycheck, passion, philanthropy, and purpose. Just where are you and your job and your motive this morning when you woke up or when you leave here today? Where are you on that? And, and no one's taking you to task on any of this stuff, but that's a reflective question needs to be asked of every one of us. It needs to be asked of me. It needs to be asked of Pastor Greg. It needs to be asked that of President Bush and President-elect Barack Obama. You know, why and what? And what's your motive and what's going on? We all have to answer those questions. So now, lastly, just, just track me. We're going to jot down. Some of these have references here. Scripture affirms each of these motives. And so let me give you those real quick. Just write the references down. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 for because I have to. Paul actually gave an order. You don't work, you don't eat. Oh, they are? Man, that's awesome. I wasted a, about an hour probably. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. There. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Just jump through all those. <laughs> Loving it. Loving it. 
La la la. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Um, okay. Number two. Hey, the more of these are just comments. It's the more of the motivations that you have working for you at your job, the more motivated you're going to be. Right? That just makes sense. Number number three. The more of these that a man has in work, the bigger perspective he's going to have about his job. So if you want to come alive at work, then learn to harness as many of these motives as you can. Harness them. We've seen that they're all scriptural. Any one of them is probably missing a little bit of something. But you take them together and you've got a reason to wake up in the morning and go to work. And when you're at work, you've got a reason to give your very best. Because you're not serving Joe Boss. You're serving Jesus Christ. And how you treat people around the water cooler matters now. It matters. It matters. Because it's part of the great commission. It's part of the great commandment of loving God and loving others. And man, if there's a place that we need to see more of that happening, it's the marketplace. It's in churches. It's in families. It's in neighborhoods. It's out and about. We've got to see that stuff happening. The perspective changes from show me the money to thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is awesome. That's a big change. Number four, the more success a man experiences with each of these motivations, the happier and more personally fulfilled he will be in his work. I'm going to stop here today. I'm teaching next week as well, so I'll just tweak and compress and we'll pick up here. I would like you to have enough time to actually sit down a little bit and talk about those motives and evaluate yourself before you're going to fly out of here and this is going to just sort of Fade away unless you talk about it and you write some of this down. And I would like you at the end of your time, I do really call you to prayer uh, for our country, but also for Reb Rose, for his family, for his wife Ashley, for their three kids. Again, tragedy, tragedy. It's a brother. And we want to support them any way we can. And so, so please close in prayer for our country and also then for Reb and his, his family, for Ashley. All right.